Where do you think we're going today? We're not a virtual reality church. We don't have enough internet to be a virtual reality church. So when do you think that video is made? Anybody know? Do you think that's a COVID era, COVID era video? Sadly not. 2018-ish is when I first saw it. Uh, we had a 2015. I'm not sure exactly when it was produced. But the sad thing is, in 2018, a Christian comedian put out a video that most of us can identify with about how we choose church, how we look at church, right? So there was a study done in 2015 where they polled U.S. pastors, and they asked them, what are three criteria that Americans prioritize when choosing a church? What do you guys think it was? What are the three most important criteria for someone choosing a church? You've all had to choose a church. We've all had to choose a church at some point. We've all gone to a church for the first time. What were we evaluating, judging, etc.? Denomination? Size? And there's another one. Song choice? Children's church? We finally hit two. What's that? Coffee shop? <laughs> Serving? Sermon. Sermon. Oh, yeah. That's on the list, but it's not in the top three. So, again, this is a study. It's not perfect. It was five years ago, but number one thing was friendliness. Friendliness. And that makes sense to me. I mean, I'm not going to stand up here and criticize that. Hopefully, when new people come here, they see friendliness. I'm scared to ask our new people today if they saw friendliness. <laughs> Number two was children's programs. Somebody said that. Number three was worship, music, and or style. And you mentioned that. Fourth on the list was what the pastor actually talks about, sermon. And fifth on the list was pastor. So they had a few pastors' quotes, and I want you to listen to these quotes and try to pick up on the themes here. One pastor said, we're trying to pay more and more attention to our connectivity and our stickiness. Many people come through our doors. What does it take for them to return? We already invest much time and resources on our messages and music, but we have to have a newer focus on being welcoming and warm. Next pastor said, people are consumers, like it or not, without a friendly, attractive, and energetic first impression, they will usually not return for a second impression. Then we had someone that got a little honest. Said, the answers I would like to give are, I would like to give, are accurate interpretation of scripture by the preacher and teachers, Spiritual vitality and authenticity of the members. And outwardly focused missional passion, passion for lost people to experience Jesus through encounters with the people of that church. But alas, this is not the world I currently observe. I want you to think about that. What I would like to answer is that they teach scripture accurately. There's a spiritual liveliness, vitality. It's authentic. They're outwardly focused about focusing on life, lost people and showing Jesus. 
through who they are, but it's not the world I currently observe. The last one I'm going to mention, it says, while it may be good to pay attention to list of what draws people to churches, the large lesson for churches is that they must have multiple attractions for different newcomers. That's the saddest statement I've ever heard about church. This is a pastor saying, I must have multiple attractions to entertain the people that come. So what's the theme here? Dollywood? (laughs) That's a good one. I didn't have that one. We must attract people, right? That's the theme here. We got to attract people. We live in a consumer-based world. Think about it. I have a cell phone. U.S. Cellular. No offense to U.S. Cellular, but it doesn't pick up here. That's a problem. I'm a consumer, so what will I do? I'll start asking you, what service do you have? What does it work here? What's your experience? Do they drop calls? Do you get service? Can you download anything to the computer via your hotspot? I signed a contract with U.S. Sailor, but I'm counting the days till it's over so I can do what? Change and find something better. The problem is I did it with Sprint, and I did it with Verizon, and I did it with AT&T, and I did it with U.S. Sailor. You getting the point? I'm a consumer. If I don't like something, I will change it. And unfortunately, that's what church has become. I think the issue is that we're bringing that consumerism that we all live in. We all live in that consumerism, right? All of us do, day to day. I'm talking outside of church. But the problem is it has infiltrated our churches. Like it or not, it's there. I hope it's not here, so I'm preaching to the choir, I hope, a little bit, but it is there. And I want to be clear, the first thing that people look for was friendliness, and I absolutely want people to feel friendliness when they come in here. I hope they will feel the love of a family when they come in here, and it will be bigger than friendliness. I hope they will be surrounded by people that they know will love and care for them through good times, tough times, etc., and it will be bigger than anything that you can put the word friendly around. We have to build that culture of friendliness and acceptance, but we can't manufacture that by programs we put in place. I worked at a church where our staff went to Elevation Church, and Elevation's an awesome church, awesome music. They're big, and the direction when we came home was implement what they're doing. Before someone reached the front door, they were touched three times with a good morning and a smile. It was orchestrated. It was manufactured. That's not true friendliness. Trust me, I'm the one that orchestrated 70 people a service to do it. From children's check-in to free coffee to getting your t-shirt, the experience. Let's take what's working for this big, gigantic church and let's implement it. And it was manufactured friendliness and we can't have that. If you look at those characteristics, they put friendliness, children's programs, worship, music, and style above the teaching of the Word of God. And I think that's really sad. You better make me feel welcomed or I'm not coming back. You need to teach my children because I'm not taking that responsibility to do it at home like I'm supposed to. I've said it often, 
As a parent, my number one responsibility is to disciple my two children. Every one of us as a parent, our number one responsibility is to disciple our children and grandparents, your, grand, your grandchildren. But the model has become drop them off at church and let them tell them everything they need because I'm not comfortable telling them because I haven't read enough of the Bible because I don't know. And by gosh, I better know if I'm going to enjoy that style of worship. You know, Brad, you mentioned denomination, and I'm surprised that wasn't even brought up as one of the characteristics. I get asked that question all the time. But I better know if I'm going to enjoy the worship. Then if I like the friendliness, I like what they have to offer my children, and I like their worship, then I'll get around to seeing if the sermon and pastor are good for me. Two weeks ago, I mentioned a term, seeker-friendly church. This is what I meant. And I can't iterate it enough. I'm going to reiterate it. I know we need to be friendly. I know we need to be warm. I know we need to be welcoming. But if we truly focus on Jesus Christ, we will be warming, welcome, friendly, right? If we're not, we have a heart problem we need to deal with. We have to welcome broken people in through these doors. We don't know who's walking in. We don't know where they are. We have to welcome them in. Love them. We have to teach solid biblical things to our children, and I'm so thankful for Casey for doing that. When she is out, she is missed. Amen? Amen. We should be worshiping our guts out and be thankful we have an opportunity. But I want you to be attracted, and I think church should be attracted to come to worship because of the presence of God, not because of the style or the song. Right? You can sing Amazing Grace, and we can go through church hymns, and the presence of God is here. I'm going to sing my guts out. I got the opportunity to hear a revival on Facebook, and he's making up songs. Jesus healed my heart, my achy, breaky heart. <laughs> and I sang it with him. I thought it was cool. We're going to try to go to their revival sometime. The presence of God was in his singing because of his heart. And I don't care what he's singing. I don't care if it's a takeoff of Billy Ray Cyrus from 30 years ago. Some of these kids are like, what's this achy, breaky heart thing? Don't Google it, okay? <laughs> but I need to know if you're going to fit my style of worship. Or is it too loud or not loud enough? Is there lights? Is it concert style quality? Okay, now that's one study. I'm going to contrast this with what another article I read from a pastor, and he said these should be the top things you look for when choosing a church. Number one, first and foremost, is this church centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ? Number two, does this church stand firm on sound biblical doctrine? Not denominational doctrine, sound biblical doctrine. Is the Bible faithfully preached week after week? You know, when I heard that, I thought, surely in churches, the Bible's preached week after week. Then I remember back in around 2006 when we were at a church here locally in Maryville, and the pastor got up and preached on not drinking soda because it's bad for you. And that was his message. I kid you not. One of the biggest churches in Maryville at the time. Number four, is worship biblical and God-centered? If you guys listen to Christian radio, there are songs that you may not know are Christian other than that they're on Christian radio. I love Lauren Daigle. 
She has a song that says, you say I am loved, but she never says Jesus. That song is on Spotify playlist, and it will play every wedding, and it will play in the morning when you come, but we will not sing that song in worship because it does not mention the name Jesus Christ or Father God or Holy Spirit. Our worship has to be God-centered. Number five, are the leaders biblically qualified and mutually accountable? Are you allowing leaders to step up and challenge you? Or do you surround yourself with a bunch of yes men that go along with everything you say? I found out that the two churches I worked in, well, I'm not going to go there. (laughs) Number six, do the leaders, pastors, do the leaders and pastors shepherd the sheep? a tough one they shepherd the sheep not control them not tell them what to do but shepherd them number seven does this church practice biblical church discipline Ooh, that one just hit a nerve does the church practice biblical church discipline i'm not talking about get out of here because you disagree with what i preached on and we've seen that and not here but we've seen that in churches all of us have I'm talking about when there's blatant sin in your midst, do we look the other way? Or do we practice biblical church discipline? Number eight, does this church equip its members to serve God? Are we equipping you to send you out? Number nine, does this church community have a culture of grace, love, and peace? That would explain friendliness to me. And finally, number ten, does this church have an outward focus to send people out? So i got a question. Why are these ten characteristics of what people should be looking for so different than what most people are looking for? Maybe a better question to look at is, what is the purpose of the church? What is our purpose? What's our purpose for being here? What is our purpose? Maybe I should say, what should be our purpose What was the early church even designed to be in the first place? I'm assuming, because I know most of you, that this will hit home. Most of us have been a part of churches that have been so full of religion and denominational structure that it caused us to leave. Because that denominational structure got ahead of teaching Jesus. Or we've been part of the watered-down, seeker-friendly church It was equally as bad. It was just the other extreme. Or maybe we've been part of a great church that somewhere decided to change and turn to one or the other. You know, Wendy and I, we've shared this with you guys. We come from denominational baggage from different extremes, so we understand that. We went to a church, (laughs) the church of Soda Pop, It was very denominational. And then that pastor resigned, and a new pastor came in, and the whole church fell apart. Because it went from soda pop to you're a sinner and you're going to hell no matter what, and you can't do enough. And he started recruiting, blowing away the elders, bringing new people in that were yes man for him. Then we left there because that was terrible. Denomination thing sucks, so we're going to go to a non-denominational church where it's seeker-friendly. We're going to hide, and they put on a good front. 
and we found out it was just a denominational church that was putting on a non-denominational name. Then we went to Holy Spirit-filled church, <laughs> Holy Spirit-led church, and we watched as they fell into the temptation to get softer and be more seeker-friendly over five years. We watched it happen, warned them, still did it. So then we said, okay, let's start this church, okay, why? God told us to, can't get around that one. And because we wanted to be a part of something that mimics the early church as much as possible. I tried to make that clear from day one. I stood up here on day one. I said, we want to be like the early church. What does that mean? I don't know. Pray for me to help figure this out. We're going to have to work through this together. Go sell your houses, give us your money. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> we're going to have to figure out what this early church looked like, and we got to mimic it as much as we can in our culture. So I want to be clear. I was challenged a few weeks ago, do I make our vision for our church clear? You know, we don't have a mission statement. We don't have a vision statement. What's the other ones that churches have? We don't have this long list of things up on the wall that tell you our creed and all that. I'm going to give it to you real simple. Our vision, our mission, our goal is to be as much like the early church as possible, plain and simple. Our goal is not to be what America has made church. When I tell people that we have a church, maybe they're here for a wedding. We tell them we have church in here. What do you think the first thing they ask me is? Brad hit it earlier. What denomination are you? Number two, how many people come each Sunday? These are hitting on some things y'all said earlier. Number three, what's your worship like? Number four, what time do you start? What time do you end? How long do you go? And they never, i got to go back to number two, they never say how many people come on Sunday. They always say, how many people are you running through there? I don't know what that means. <laughs> number six, do you speak in tongues? Oh, giddy up, let's go. Number seven, what's your children's program look like? I can honestly tell you I've never been asked one time to preach the word of God. And some of these people are pastors here to do weddings now I try to take advantage of those opportunities and they say what kind of denomination are you I said we are a denomination that teaches the word of God we and man that fires some people up I'm not gonna sit there and argue with them how many people come on Sunday I don't know every Sunday's different <laughs> we don't get on to people when they don't come they're not attracted here, and they need to go somewhere else. I've said it before. They're not cows. We didn't buy them. <laughs> What's your worship like? Awesome. <laughs> you ever listen to 89.1? No? Don't know about that. Wait, you're a pastor. Oh, yeah, we're going to go in here and play country music about drinking beer and extramarital affairs, but you don't listen to Christian music. I get it. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just being honest. And that question of, do you speak in tongues, I just go back, do you? <laughs> do you want me to right now? Because I will. They either run or continue talking. <laughs> What's your children's program look like? I don't know. I was told the early Jewish church, the one we want to model, brought their children in with them. They didn't have children's programs. Whoa. Jeff and Sue aren't here because they've been traveling, but they spent a lot of time studying Jewish heritage because they're Jewish, 
They're Messianic Jews. They believe in Jesus. They bring a lot of knowledge that we don't have because of how much they've studied Scripture. And when we started this church, we didn't know we were going to have the blessing of Casey. And they said, bring them into church. Bring them into church. Let them learn from an early age what you're teaching the adults. Half the adults don't know. Maybe you need to teach your children. Never once was asked, do you preach the word of God? So sad. So I asked the question again, what is the purpose of church? And what was the early church designed to be? And I'm going to run through these as quick as I can. I just went to Acts. First of all, when we describe the early church, you have to put in context, they were being persecuted every day. It was a life and death experience. Did you have to face life and death on the way to church this morning? Any of you? Uh, Well, okay. Minus minus bread. It's driving. (laughs) If you stayed within the law this morning, (laughs) did you face life or death coming to church this morning? Will you face life or death going to church, going to lunch after church? When you go to lunch, they're going to know it's the church crowd. It's someone waiting to kill you, to persecute you, to make fun of you. In other states, maybe, but not here. Right? So I want to keep that in perspective. In the early church, to be a Christ follower and believer meant you were in a place of persecution. You were in a place of hiding most, a lot of times. It was not a place of three greeters before you hit the door. They may have had three greeters, but they were protecting and making sure the right people were getting in or out, right? It was not a church of how many latte varieties can you offer me? Here's what I see. In Acts 1, Jesus told them, keep hiding. Right now, you got to hide until you receive the Holy Spirit. So we know the Holy Spirit must be welcomed and present. See, we don't have to hide. That promise of the Holy Spirit came. We have it. We don't have to hide. Praise Jesus. We don't have to hide like they did. But we have to allow the Holy Spirit to work and be present and be welcomed. Number two, Jesus made it clear that we got to go out. Brian was ready to preach this message this morning. I just met him an hour ago. He's ready to preach this. We got to go out. He says, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. How many people go into the church, get their latte, they get greeted, they get their free t-shirt, they get their fancy new Bible, they sit through a great worship service and a great sermon that's going to get published, and 4,000 people are going to watch it, and then they go about their daily life, and they're rude to their servers, and they're rude to their coworkers, and they're lying, and they're cheating people, and there's no change. But Jesus said... It ain't about that. It's about going out and telling everyone about me everywhere. We know they met together and they were united in prayer. This morning, I thought it was so cool that God put on Lynn's heart that we needed to come up here and pray over our worship team, the ones going to battle for us. This morning, we found out that one of our worship team members was sick. That changes everything, guys. I don't know if you understand the amount of change that brings when you've got a person who is designed to sing a song, play an instrument, and they've got a stomach virus and they can't come. But these people changed everything. That's why they needed the prayer. 
And I want to thank them again for that and for being flexible. They were transformed, the early church, the people, they were transformed by the Holy, power, Holy Spirit to have power and be bold in what they were supposed to do, their mission. They taught each other to repent, to make changes, to be baptized in water. I'm just going through Acts right now. I'm just hitting the high points. They devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including communion, and to prayer. Thank the Lord. I at least see that one's happened all morning today. They performed signs and wonders. They shared everything they had. In Acts 2, 45-47, it says they sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Some of us get upset because we've got to come to church once a week. They worshiped at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship. See, we don't have to be friendly. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to love each other. We need to come in close fellowship. We need to eat together. We need to spend time worshiping God. And guess what? People will want to be around us. People will want to be here. They'll either be scared to death of it, or they'll want it. The early church, they healed people in the name and authority of Jesus. This one's tough. They were arrested and jailed. What would you do if praising Jesus this morning meant you were going to go to jail? They did it anyway. They were persecuted by religious leaders. The very people that had taught most of them what they knew about Father God is the people that persecuted them. Any of you guys ever been persecuted by your spiritual leader? They were questioned for doing good when they were doing it in the name of Jesus. I love this one. They were not trained. They weren't going to seminary. I'm not dogging seminary. Sem Good question, Parker. What's seminary? Seminary is the college that preachers go to to become preachers. Acts 4.13, it says, The members of the council, that's the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Peter and John were what? Fishermen. They were just fishermen. They were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. It doesn't say they didn't know Scripture. It says they had no special training in Scripture. Eight years ago, when God called me to leave a sales career to go into ministry, the first thing that popped in my mind is I don't know enough. I don't know Scripture. When someone asks me, I can't go to a straight to a verse. And you know what it made me do? It made me dig in. Because when they ask, I had to say, I don't know. Can I get back to you? And, I ha and when that happens, you learn. You remember. It goes into a memory bank. My mom said her shelf's full. She said, I got a shelf and it's full. If I want something new, I got to push something off. I started pushing stuff off to get new stuff in on the shelf but the first person someone asked first thing someone asked you when you say I leave the church is where did you go to seminary where'd you go to seminary school of the Holy Spirit the school of getting in people's lives and trying to show them Jesus not tell them about it and I will never be ashamed for that I actually had pastors tell me don't go to seminary it will ruin you it will ruin you it will make you be a control freak 
It'll make you twist scriptures to what you want. You need to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. And I wandered around for four or five years trying to figure out what the heck that meant. Finally, hopefully it's paying off. They didn't obey man. They didn't obey man. They obeyed God. It says, but Peter and John replied. So this is after they're saying they were impressed. Peter and John weren't learned. Put it in Tennessee terms. They weren't learned men. They were impressed. But they weren't going to put up with what Peter and John were doing. And Peter and John replied and said, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We can't stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. So no man should be able to tell us, stop. No man should be able to tell us. We should be so full of the Holy Spirit, the boldness. We should not stop telling people about everything we've seen. We've seen miracles in this church. You guys have seen it. You've seen lives changed. You've seen people healed from their past, from rejection, from abuse. I could go on for days. We've got to tell people because that's what people need. Oh, I love this next one because this is so misconstrued in our churches today. They grew from 120 to 5,000 pretty quickly. So mega churches go, there's my scripture. 3,000 were added one day. They grew from 120 to 5,000. It doesn't say they grew to 5,000 person church. It said they grew to 5,000 believers that were going out telling people, dying to tell people being hung upside down on a cross like Peter was to tell people. They prayed for boldness to preach the word of God. And it says they were, all the believers were united in heart and mind. We talked about unity a couple weeks ago. We preached on unity. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. Wendy and I are sharing everything we got with you. I was told this week that I, don't, I, I needed to share that and I needed to be vulnerable. We're cashing in retirement to supply things for this church. And I've never said that before, and I feel like that's bragging. I've never wanted to do it, but I was challenged this week to say it. The point is we have to do it. Scripture says. I'm not asking you to go cash in your retirement. This isn't like I need a new helicopter speech like some evangelists have done. I'm telling you that we're giving everything we've got, everything. We are consumed by teaching Jesus Christ to people. And I want every one of you to have that same passion, to be absolutely consumed with it. There were no needy people among them because those who own land or houses would and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. This is where it gets tough. Ananias, who was with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. Anybody heard that story? They sold some property. No one told them to sell property. No one told them they had to give their money. They willingly brought their money, but they only gave a portion of it, and they lied about it. Anybody know what happened to them? They dropped dead. We're scared to offend somebody. We're scared they won't come back if we offend them with the truth. And in the early church, they dropped dead when they lied. That's a big difference from what the church has become. All the while, while people were dying, we're not dying. We're not being put in prison. Does it sound like anything of the churches you grew up in? Does it sound like the seeker-friendly model? Does it sound like the virtual reality model? I know that's a joke, but it really isn't a joke. 
going back to our vision, we want to be where the first church was as much as possible. We want to train you up and send out. People said, I see a big church over there in the field. And I said, I don't, because if we're doing our job right, it will always be small because we'll be sending people out to start churches and to do their own thing. And that's tough because these people we love, we've invested in, and we want to selfishly hold them in. But Jesus said, send them out. Then along comes COVID. COVID sucks, right? However, it's exposing a lot of things, and we've talked about this. It's exposing a lot of things in the American church. Do you know that one of the largest churches in Knoxville is still shut down? Largest churches in Knoxville. If you ever drive down Alcoa Highway, you pass it. They're shut down this weekend. It's their decision. I can't, I can't say they're doing the wrong thing. I'm just saying, I just wonder what Peter and Paul would say if they went there and it was closed. After we know what we know. What would they do? Are you kidding me? I was hung upside down on a cross to give the word of God to you. And you shut your doors? Come on. Jeremiah Johnson. I don't know if you guys have heard him. Prophetic speaker. He has spoken openly about what he calls the post-COVID church. The church will never be the same. It's exposing those who want to do something and those who want to sit at home and be comfortable and do the virtual reality church. And some people, unfortunately, have become too comfortable there. It's exposing those that say they follow Jesus and those that actually follow Jesus, no matter the consequences, no matter the circumstances. And and I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm not saying COVID is not a dangerous thing. Many of you in here have had it and you know, right? I know people have died. I also know that the CDC revised all their numbers this week that only 0.0003% actually died from COVID. This isn't about COVID. It's not about politics. It's about we need to be out, not hidden. The early church had to hide until the Holy Spirit gave them power. Now we're hiding from something that doesn't have the devastating effects we were promised it had. church has become a place of safety acceptance that's a good thing but it's also become a place where you turn your head when evil's happening we got to love we got to accept we got but uh, we're going to forget the rest of the scriptures about discipline repentance dying to self to be more christ-like church has turned into something that feels good we come here because we want to feel good we want to feel better about ourselves right And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of blessings that are talked about in Scripture that we always want to pray over you, that we always want to speak about and remind you. But that comes in the one-on-one when people are struggling. We've turned into a church that feels good. I don't mean us, I mean the American church. We've turned into a church of what feels good and we think it should be, not what it was or designed to be. Let me give you a couple of examples. 1 Corinthians 1.13, the love chapter. Everybody know the love chapter? What's Paul say? Love is patient, kind, not self-seeking, not jealous, not boastful, not proud, not rude, not irritable, keeps no record of wrong. We want that scripture, right? We want to know, hey, you need to love me. You need to be patient with me. That's 1 Corinthians 13, but do we want 1 Corinthians 5? 
when it's talking about a sexually immoral man. And Paul says, don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. This is not talking about someone who's just failed. This is talking about someone, he goes into detail about what they were doing, and they were bragging about it. They weren't repenting. They weren't making changes. And he's telling the church, you got to get them out because they're going to ruin everything you got going good. You ever think Satan might send somebody to plant to hurt the whole thing? Paul went on to say, it's not just about sexual sin. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin. That's key. I told you, don't associate with people. He's saying don't associate with believers that are willingly doing it. Go after the unbelievers and teach them and love them, but don't put up with the believers. we got to make that difference. I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You'd have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worship idols or abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with those kind of people. And then he says something that goes against everything I ever heard in church. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. I thought we weren't supposed to judge, but he just said, judge those in the church that are sinning. He said, God will judge those on the outside, but as scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. What's my point? My point is we love the love chapter and be patient and tolerate, but then we want to throw away what he said earlier to that church. We accept scripture like Romans 8, 28, where Paul says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called to According to his purposes for them. We love that one, right? That's motivating. I'm going through a bad time, but that's okay. God has good plan. What about later in Romans talking to the same church? Watch out for it's Romans 16, 17. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching them things that are wrong, contrary to what you've been taught. Stay away from them. My point is we got to balance these things. We can't just take the pieces we want that feel good. We have to balance it. We want the part in 2 Thessalonians where Paul says, but the Lord's faithful, he'll strengthen you and guard you. But we shy away a few verses later in verse 6 where he says, I give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus. Stay away from believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they received from us. I got one more. We like where Paul says in Titus 3 that believers must not slander anyone. Avoid quarreling. We love that. Don't slander anybody. Don't fight. Don't quarrel. He says, instead, be gentle and show true humility. But We don't like verse 10 where he says, if people are causing divisions among you, give us first and a second warning, and after that, have nothing more to do with them. That's four times that Paul, who only wrote to churches, said, get rid of people who aren't acting right and love people who are. I'm not up here to tell you we got to get rid of somebody. That's not where I'm going. I'm saying we have to take both. We can't just take what we like. Does it sound like a seeker-friendly church if we're scared if somebody won't come back? If we live out some of what Paul just talked about? It sounds to me like he was telling the churches you have to take this whole book seriously. So don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that we have to be on edge and we have to be in turmoil. No, because there's a ton of scripture about living in peace and harmony. 
Paul says in Galatians 6, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. That is my life verse. We're talking about when you try to humbly and gently help them and 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 and they continue to hurt people and themselves. We're called to help believers that are sinning and struggling but not tolerate when they willingly sin without repentance or change. You don't like what Paul said about it? We talked two or three weeks ago about what Jesus said. Matthew 18 model. Confront them if they've sinned to win them back for restoration. If you don't, go back with a witness. If that doesn't win them back, take it to the church. There's three chances of restoration. And then, if they don't change, treat that person as a pagan. You don't like what Paul said. That's what Jesus said. Here's the crazy thing. We sang a song this morning about leaves the 99 for me. Do you know that parable comes right before the Matthew 18 model? Three verses before the Matthew 18 model that we talk about, it talks about leaving the 99 for the one. And Christians throw that out of context so much and say, but if that person is sinning, i got to leave the 99 for the one. Do, do you understand Jesus was given that parable to talk about God going after the one? There's 99 believers the kingdom of God is such that he would leave the 99 to go after the one. That's how much God loves you and cares for you. But if a believer has sinned against you, you have to go to them, blah, 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 and if they don't repent, treat them as a pagan. You can't throw out the lost sheep thing doing the wrong thing when I discipline someone if you don't take the verses that come three verses later. Does that make sense? John 15, we love, this is my commandment. Jesus said, love each other in the same way I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. What about verse 1, 11 verses earlier? He said, I'm the great, I'm the true grapevine. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Jesus said, if you're not producing fruit, you got to go. My point is, the early church wasn't about pacifying people and their needs. The early church was about raising up warriors. It was about raising up people to know the difference between right and wrong, to understand the love of God, and they had grace, and they had the chance to change, but they had to do something with it. Go tell the world. You can't pick and choose the verses that feel good to us. Yes, His grace is sufficient, but He also expects me to be holy and strive to be as holy as I can. His grace is there to back me up when I fail, right? Hebrews 10, 26 says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning, keyword, deliberately continue sinning. I'm sorry, I think we got a battery going out here. If we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Whew, that one's tough. Jesus, your grace, I've sinned, forgive me. Oh, I didn't see this Hebrew scripture that says if I keep doing it on purpose, I can't come to you and ask for that grace. So if we want to be the church, if our vision, our goal is to be the church described in the Bible, then we have to teach these truths. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it hurts a little bit, someone had to teach them to me so I would repent and change from my terrible lifestyle I had. We've got to follow all the scriptures. I just had a vision when I was thinking about this. I was like, you know, I never saw in scripture where it says the word of God's like a pool noodle. 
You do wrong, the word of God's like a pool noodle. Whack. No, it says the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, not a pool noodle. And that's what we treat it as. You've done wrong. Let me whack you with a pool noodle. Come back into the fold. Don't get me wrong. I'm gonna. Anybody here who knows me knows I'm gonna have more patience and love and let you run over. And I probably should. That's just a fact of life. You mean change? All right, no idea where I was. I'll wrap it up now. <laughs> Pool noodle. It says it's sharper than a two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit. Soul is what my mind wants to think and what feels good. Spirit is where Jesus Christ resides in me in the Holy Spirit. And that two-edged sword, the Word of God, is supposed to split between them to expose. It says it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires so that we can change, so that we can have the joy, peace, harmony, etc. Scripture was never, nor church, was ever designed to be a thing we pick and choose to make us feel good or motivate us. It was meant to expose who we are and help us understand why we need Jesus so we can be the person God wants us to be. Jesus never said be seeker friendly. He said hard things like deny yourself, give up things to follow me, give up your job, your lifestyle. Hey, you fishermen, I know you don't know anything else. Give up that to follow me. He also said things in Matthew 7, 6 like don't waste your time. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then attack you. Guys, we are called to go out and tell the world about Jesus to be bold and preach about his forgiveness and his love. We are not called to go out and tolerate if they don't accept it. Is that clear? I've just read you a ton of scripture. I can't be more clear. But see, I don't know if this is preached a lot because this doesn't feel good. But why does it matter? I promise I'm wrapping up here. Why does it matter? Why does it matter to you? Why should you care about what I'm talking about? You're here, right? Are you preaching to me? <laughs> I'm here. Why does it matter? Have you seen the amount of evil going on in our world today that church calls good? Have you seen churches embracing an organization that promotes destruction of the nuclear family and promotes violence and the church accepts it and supports it? Have you seen churches turn a blind eye to blatant sin when it's happening and destroying the church? Have you seen churches say it's okay to accept sexual sin because we're supposed to be inclusive and loving and graceful to everyone? Who are we to judge, right? And I'm going to tell you, if you don't think our world is messed up enough, I want to tell you what happened in California this week. And I want to try to be gentle because there's children in the room. The California legislators passed a law Monday. It eased, how do I say this? It eased punishment for people who hurt children. And I hope you understand what I'm saying without saying it. Why did they do it? I quote, because it was discrimination. 
They are lessening the penalties of an adult that hurts a child if that child consents. That's the world we live in. They're legalizing it. They're legalizing one of the sickest sins imaginable. But that's in California, Jason. That's not Tennessee. I want you to look at a trend. In 1996, California became the first state to legalize medical marijuana. And how many of us were around in 1996 and said, man, Tennessee will never do that. <laughs> Tennessee will never do that. Now marijuana is common talk. It's, it's no different than somebody drinking a beer. I have men in counseling come in. They're like, I don't drink or, or beat my wife or anything. And I smoke pot all the time, but it's okay. It's against the law. 1996, California became the first state to legalize medical marijuana. And by 2016, 20 years later, almost every state in the United States had followed suit. It took 20 years to take something that everyone said that's bad and it's just normal. But that's medical, right? So that's okay. It never comes in all at one time. It comes in where it looks like it's okay. In 2010, California reduced penalties. Whoa, that sounds eerily similar to what they did Monday. They reduced penalties in 2010 for marijuana. If you have possession of marijuana, they reduced it to a minor infraction. And then in 2016, they just completely legalized it. So in 20 years from California taking the first step, every state almost had done the same thing. And also in that same 20 years, they went from it being okay medically to just being okay. How many of you thought in 1996 that California was a crazy liberal state and it would never make it here? 20 years and it's normal. Do you want to look back 20 years from now? Do you want to look back 20 years from 2020 and say, man, I didn't see how evil that was then and how it's just going to become the new normal? By the way, do you know it's in our backyard? Do you know, I mentioned it last Sunday, that I-75 is a major place to get kids trafficked? Not legalized, but it's happening in our backyard. A few years ago, a children's pastor was arrested at a large church in Knoxville and a sting by police. We have evil all around us. If we don't stand up and become what the church was designed to be, it's not going to be good. Four days ago, five days ago, September 1st, an article was published in East Tennessee. It says, some might be surprised to learn that the United States is ranked as one of the worst countries in the world for human trafficking. But it's not talked about on the mainstream media. We don't hear about it. It's a huge problem right here in East Tennessee, they went on to say. It's like any other violent crime. The thing is, it isn't obvious like other crime. Trafficking of children is a sneaky crime. It often flies under the radar because traffickers are good at what they do. People think trafficking only happens in cities like Atlanta, Nashville, places with big airports and things like that. But it happens in East Tennessee just as much. It just looks different. He said in rural areas like we live in in East Tennessee, it's familial. Familial. Families. Families are doing the trafficking. 
the trafficking of kids to get access to drugs. I want you to think about that. It's in our backyard. We have to stand up. And I could go a lot of places with this, and I'm not trying to go there. I've hit a lot of topics today. I'm talking about what the church was supposed to be. We have to wake up. We have to wake up. We're in a battle like we've never been before. Isaiah 5.20 says, what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. We're living in a time when evil is called good and good is called evil. You're called evil because you're in church during COVID. That's a fact. Church in California, John MacArthur, he stood up and said on the second shutdown, I'm not doing it. We're staying open. He went to court four times in two weeks to be shut down. And when they couldn't shut him down, the city took away his lease for his parking lot. That he's leased peacefully for 20 or 30 years or 40 years. I think it was since the 70s. Evil is being called good and good is being called evil. And that's why we need to be the early church to stand up for what is right, and to teach you guys to be warriors. Paul made a lot of military analogies when he talked about putting on our armor, fighting spiritual warfare. You know, somebody said, <laughs> church is supposed to be like a hospital. Anybody ever heard that? Church is supposed to be like a hospital, right? What do we do at a hospital? We heal people, right? The goal is to get well. So the church is supposed to be a place for a wo the wounded, the sick, to come get healed. Not to get stuck and being broken. It's a place to be healed. You don't sit in a, in, in a hospital for three years <laughs> with the same problem, right? You also, if you're in the hospital, say you got COVID and you're in the hospital, and you start going room to room and hugging and kissing people, they're going to let you stay in the hospital? No. So if church is going to be like a hospital, let's be like a hospital. Let's get people healed and get them back out fighting. I'm a statistics person. You know that. Average length of stay in a hospital is five and a half days. And the average cost is $5,200 a day. The average cost is over twenty eight grand. So if we're going to be a hospital, let's get you fixed in five days and give us twenty eight grand. <laughs> I love the hospital analogy. How about if we used a different analogy and said we're a military base? Every military base has a hospital, right? So you're sick, come into the hospital, let us get you well. Why? So I can get you back out training. So you can learn what your defense is and your offense is, who your enemy is and how to fight. So you can build camaraderie with the people around you. You can build the trust, the love. You ever seen two military guys later in life? They would die for each other. And that's what we should have. We should be willing to die for each other. So I'm okay with the hospital analogy, but I'd rather use the military analogy. I started with ten characteristics of what a church should be like. And I want you to know that I went through every one of those ten and said, God, show us where we can be that better. If we're not that, show us how to be it. If we are that, show us how to continue to be it. What should the church look like? One of the characteristics that they talk about in Acts is being united in prayer. We've already had some unity in prayer this morning, but today we're going to end being united in prayer. We had some prayer warriors show up this morning an hour before service and just walk the building and the premises to fight off the warfare before you got here. And I'm going to ask them right now, one by one, where they are, 
to lead us in prayer to be united as we leave today. And I'm going to ask Kaylee. Okay. Um, so everyone just bow your heads. And just also, like, prayer is to be prayed with someone and not just my words being lifted up to God. Um, so make sure you're praying to God. Whatever you need, whatever you need to lay down at his feet, I just pray that you're praying that also. So whatever you need to plead with, plead with. Um, so, um, Holy Spirit, God, I just ask you to come. Um, you're here, Father, but I just pray for hearts. Uh, today's message, we are able just to, I hope that we're all just wanting to go out and to speak your word and be your word, Father. Um, and so I just pray, God, for any hearts in here that need mending, that need your word, Father, that need your word be spoken over them, Father. So I just speak your word over them, and I just declare your word over them, Father. God, I declare that they know your word and that they are able to live out your word, Father. God, I speak peace, Father, over these people today. God, I speak love over these people today. I, I just speak that they know you, that they can feel you, Father. Your Holy Spirit, you're a comforter, Father. That is what you are. Your Holy Spirit is a comforter. So, Father, I just ask that your comfort would just come and reign over these people that need you today, Father. You're an advocator, Father. You go before us. You advocate for us, God, and we thank you for that, God. You are a healer. You heal our broken hearts, Father. So I just pray over anyone in here that needs to be healed today. I just pray healing, God, and that they're able to receive that, Father. God, we thank you for moving. We thank you. We thank you for this broken wor world. Um, we thank you for Satan, because if we didn't have that, we, we would be comfortable. We wouldn't know what to fight. God, and we thank you for the uncomfortable. We thank you for us being able to fight and to have, and to go out and do war, because we would just be all equal. And God, you are, you reign above us all, Father, and we thank you for that. We, we thank you for your glory. God, I thank you for this building. I thank you, the hands that made it, Father. I thank you for what you're making it out to be, Father, a holy place. God, I thank you for the grass that surrounds this building. I thank you for the trees that surround this building. God, I thank you for the people that are in this building that are wanting to change and wanting to get renewed, Father. God, I thank you for their hearts. Um, Father, I just pray that you would just anoint each and every one of them with your Holy Spirit, Father. That they would just, just love you, just be pleased with you, and we'd be able to smile and just to know that God, God loves them. And that their strength lies in Jesus. So whatever they're going through today is hard. It's a hard season. But God reigns over that. He takes place over that. Over that difficulty. Over that hardship. He takes place. He says, you're not going to do it alone. Because I'm right here with you. I'm standing right here with you. 
He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to leave you like other people did. He's standing right near you, right in front of you, right wherever you imagine him standing. Jesus is right there with you. And his Holy Spirit is inside of you. If you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit reigns right inside of you. And you can do mighty things with that Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for you. And we thank you for dying the cross for us and taking reign over every situation that is difficult and hard. God, we thank you for you being able to stand right next to us, Father. In your name, amen. Anyone else want to come pray that prayed this morning? God, we thank you for them. We thank you for our dear friends. Please just um, help for the Holy Spirit fire to rain down on us today, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Please protect us, Lord, as we go out today, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Please just help us to, please just give us opportunities to minister to people this week, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Please protect us this week, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And um, any, sp- any evil spirits in this place have to leave right now in the Andreas line because they have no legal right, they have no authority in this place in the Andreas line because the, th- the only person who has authority in this place is Yahweh and Yeshua in the Andreas line and the Holy Spirit Lord, in the Andreas line. And please just help the Holy Spirit to fill this place and for us to fill the Holy Spirit's presence Lord, in the Andreas line. Please just give us peace and joy during this time Lord, in the Andreas line. And please just give us a sermon. And please just help us during this time and I know what to do or in the Andreas Society. And just, um, amen. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for each person here. First of all, we just, we just um, take authority. Uh, this is our place. Jesus gave this place. We pray for Pastor and his family right now in the name of Jesus. Every curse, hex, spell, every demonic thing, every evil word spoken against them is broken. We just declare that this is the place that the Lord has made. And we just thank you. Father, for each person in this place, I ask you to touch each one of them right now. I ask each one of them would be touched. We call your spirits to rise up now. Spirit, come to attention. Body, you submit to your soul. Soul to your spirits. Rise up, spirits. Rise up now and receive what the glory of God has, what God has for you. Father God, I just ask that this week that you would send angels to each person. I just ask that they would be challenged to pray for a pastor and his wife and his family, this place, and rise up as the warriors that we're called to be. We declare that this place, just it was said, yes, it may be a hospital, but we're rising up. We're rising up and we're warriors for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, Yeshua. We're going to walk in our destiny. We call our destinies forth. Each, each one of us has a destiny in Jesus, and we call it forth now. And we say,
say nothing's going to stop us from rising up now. No woundedness, no brokenness. We just declare that by his stripes we are healed. The shackles are coming off and we're going to step into, just step into what the king has for us to do in this place that our mission will not be aborted, where our destiny will not be aborted, but we will rise in Jesus' name. be clear you're welcome to stay in this hospital for a lot longer than five and a half days if you're hurt or broken we are here to help you I don't want this message to sound like we're going to tell you everything you're doing wrong we're here to help you and love you with the expectation of getting you to be a warrior and I'm going to end with a blessing yes sir I'm going to ask Pastor Jason and Wendy step up here. Some of you don't realize how what kind of a job they have. And for the last two weeks, and I'm I don't you know I me and my wife we don't tell everybody everything that goes on. We've dealt with COVID, and that whole time, the Lord said. Pray for your pastors. And everything that I learned was concerning our pastors. You don't know the job that they have. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand forward and pray over them. You know, I ask Jason all the time, how's your how, how's things going? It's rough. It's rough. See, that's a soldier. It's rough. He's telling the truth. It's rough. But yet he perseveres. They both, they, they press through. And because of that, God is going to release upon them a fresh anointing for us. Father God, in Jesus' name, we lift our pastors to you, Lord. Lord, we know that they stand in the gap for us. We know that they're repairing the breach for us, Father. That you speak to them, Father, to guide and direct us. And Father, those words aren't always easy to hear. Those things aren't always the greatest. But Father, it's your word that they deliver to us. As messengers, Father, as they give up the things that you've given them, told them to give up, Father, that you're going to increase them in all the other areas that they need, Father. Father, that they'll know that we stand with them as a church, as a body, that we lift up our shepherds to you, Lord, and say, grant them that love, Father, that only a father can give. Father, that they are what you said they are. Genuine. The real deal. And we lift them today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for praying. I'm going to end with a blessing today. 
This is a blessing Paul read to a church and said, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep our Father's love is. So, Father, as we end today, I thank you for your word that's sharper than a two-edged sword. And I thank you for your grace and your love to keep chasing me when I was the one and you left the 99 for me. The grace you gave me when I was a failure. Father, if anyone doesn't know your love today, show it to them. If anyone doesn't know your son, Jesus, today, today I'm begging you to accept him as your Savior. Scripture says all you have to do is believe he died and was raised from the dead. He died for your sins. All you have to do is believe and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. It's a simple formula. So, Father, if anyone in here is struggling today, doesn't know your son, Jesus, I pray that they would make that decision today to know him. It's the beginning of a journey. It's not the end point today. It would be the beginning of the journey for them, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit to guide them along the way, just like you have us. So, Father, I pray for a blessing over every person here today and all those that are sick, all those that are traveling. In Jesus' holy name, amen. You guys have an awesome week.